Let's pray and then we'll have a look at that part of the Bible together. Father God, we thank you for this word in front of us that is sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that this mighty and powerful word might do a work among us even tonight. Please, Lord, expose the thoughts and motives of our hearts. Uh, Please, Lord, challenge us. Please, Lord, remind us of your good promises. We pray, please, that you'd bless us by this same mighty word tonight. And we pray it, it for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, are you tired? Some, at least one person is, yeah. Absolutely. Is that Lucy? You cannot help yourself. It is Lucy. Lucy's tired. I'm tired too. I reckon the guy doing our mission update video, he looked tired, didn't he? I reckon, I reckon lots of us are tired. I asked this question to my growth group this week. I said, are you tired? And almost everyone said yes, and I asked why. And the, in, the interesting thing was why. Why different people were tired? One person, uh, it's pretty broad, tired right one person said I'm tired because every day I got to get up real early and lift heavy stuff on a work site and that's my job and makes me tired makes plenty of sense another person said I'm tired because particularly through lockdown you have to work twice as hard to accomplish half as much and it's just exhausting and I'm tired Uh, someone else said I'm tired because coming out of lockdown I was was a bit of an extrovert and I'm all pumped and ready to kind of socialize again and see people and it's going to be so good and they're all revved up for that Uh, but actually people are exhausting I don't know if you felt that you come out of lockdown ready to party and you're like gee just being around people is actually pretty tiring who knew that parties were so hard I don't remember that Uh, another person had an interesting take they said I'm tired because Man, the world is, is actually just pretty exhausting. It has felt like for the last two years that the world has kind of gone crazy, doesn't it? Just like one thing after another. You know, remember those bushfires where like New South Wales was on fire for months, a couple of years ago? And then it was followed closely by the pandemic, followed closely by all sorts of political upheaval and unrest, uh, followed by floods. And then like New South Wales is getting tornadoes now, which we didn't used to get, but we get them. There was a mouse plague briefly that didn't seem to get here, but it was a thing. And the whole package is just exhausting. Has the world gone crazy? It's just exhausting to even think about. Are you tired? Now, tiredness comes in in a whole bunch of different forms, as I've just said. But the problem with tiredness is it's like this it's this unceasing force which never ends. It just kind of keeps grinding away at you. It can't be stopped. But on the other hand, rest, rest isn't unceasing. Rest is elusive, isn't it? kind of hard to nail down so you get tired in the week and and the, you know the week's wearing you down and and you and you're ready for a massive sleeping and then Saturday morning comes if that's your time and you have this big sleep in and you fill up the sleep tank and you're like oh yes I'm rested it's so good but that come Monday morning it's as if it never happened hey all of a sudden you're back on the treadmill and it's as if that sleeping never happened or you have that year and it chips away and you're getting tighter and tighter and worn down and you're waiting for the holiday and you can see it coming and you're like this holiday is going to be so good and you can see it on the horizon and then it arrives it's just your trip to seal rocks or whatever it is you're up to with your mates and it's going to be so good and when you get there it is good it's really good and and the rest is wonderful it's nice but so quickly the days just kind of slide by they whittle away 
And as quick as it came, suddenly you're back on the treadmill. It's Monday again. We live in a weary world that desperately wants real rest. The kind of rest that won't just slip through our fingers and disappear. The kind of rest that will satisfy properly. Rest that's going to truly last. Now this passage tonight talks about rest. It offers real answers to this deep need that we all feel. It's holding out real rest to us tonight the kind of rest that won't slip through your fingers and be gone as quickly as it came the kind of rest that will truly satisfy and it's not just the rest where you say yeah one day I'll get to heaven and I'll rest then but for now life's just gonna it's not that either Um, that might be a part of it but that's not all there is to it there's some wonderful promises held out here in this passage And so let's dive into them together and look at the rest that's on offer. Now here's the first thing that's pretty simple to catch. Here's the first wonderful thing to spot in this passage. The good news, there is a promise of real rest. Just pick it up, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So straight away, you can see two things really quickly there. Number one, there is a promise of rest. Real rest, God's rest is what it's talking about. Now, what does the author mean by rest? We'll come back around to that in a minute. But number one, here's the point, rest is on offer. Number two, you need to make sure that you grab hold of it, that you don't miss out on it, or in the words of the passage, that you don't fall short of it. Because there's a sobering warning, a warning from the past. The people of God who were offered rest in the Old Testament, but they missed it. They rejected it. Have a look at verse 2 there. It's talking about us and the Old Testament Jews. He says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who believed. So Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, it says they heard the good news. Now what was the good news that the Israelites heard? Well, it was the promise of a better future. It was the promise of rest in the promised land, in the physical place of Canaan, where they'd be free from their enemies and enjoy relationship with God in his good place. Now instead of moving into the land and taking it straight away as uh, they should have, what happened? Well, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that they they didn't have faith, they didn't obey God, and so actually what happened, instead of of going into the land for rest, they wandered the desert for 40 years, and the whole generation actually died. They didn't enter into God's rest. And so here's the author's point. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, they had the good news, and so do we, so make sure you grab hold of it. Now, what's our good news? What's the good news that we have? Well, it's the gospel. It's that Christ died for sins and that we are redeemed. They were redeemed out of Egypt and promised the promised land. We're redeemed out of sin, Satan and death. And what we're promised is a new creation. Not Canaan and the promised land, but a new creation. Heaven is the thing that we've got on the the horizon. And so here's the point. God has done everything for us. He's rescued us. If you're a Christian, you've heard the good news. You've heard the promise to enter God's rest. And it's right there for you. It's on offer. It's free. And it's so good. 
And he's saying, don't make the same mistake they did. Don't stuff it the way they did. Don't reject God's good promise of rest. Instead, grab hold of it. You guys remember those New South Wales government vouchers that we all got where you could eat good food for free out at cafes or whatever and go to the movies? That was good times. I enjoyed that. Um, I wonder how many people squandered that opportunity. I wonder how many people knew that there was this thing where you can go to restaurants and the movies for free, download the app, do a bunch of things, and, and then eventually you can go do that. I always wondered, how many people are going to let these vouchers expire? Because I'm a, I'm a bit of a cheapskate, and the cheapskate at heart in me was kind of like, man, that's a tragedy, $100 worth of vouchers you never use. And I wonder how many people never did. You don't have to put up your hands if that was you. But here's the thing, there was this offer right there. Go to the movies, go out to dinner, have a good time. Just download an app and be bothered to work it out. It's yours. That's a little bit like the point here. <laughs> but what's on offer isn't a palmy and a movie. It's rest. Real rest with God. Lasting rest. The thing that you need, it's not going to fail, it's not going to come, and it's not just going to go. Has this world got you feeling weary? <laughs> Are you worn down? Are you tired? Are you groaning under the weight of it all? Well, this, is, this passage is saying there is a good God who loves you and he's offering you something better. But you need to grab hold of it yourself. It's not automatic. You need to seek it out and find it in him. You'll hear later on that you enter in by faith and obedience in that God. We'll unpack that later but you need to grab hold of it yourself. But before we do, here's the big point. Please don't miss it. Rest is on offer with your God. Don't miss out. Now here's the big and I reckon tricky question that we're going to spend a bit of time on now. What is this rest exactly? When is this rest we know that it's good, we know that it's from God, with God, uh, but what are we actually talking about here when we say enter into God's rest? What does that mean? I think it's a hard concept to nail down because it's one that actually builds throughout the whole story of the Bible and it's not always concrete, it kind of, kind of moves around, uh, but we're going to chase it down by looking at the story of the Bible and particularly looking at this passage here. But here's my go at a summary, here it is. Real rest is found in God with God, now and for eternity. Let's put some flesh on that together as we look at the passage. The whole story of the Bible and this passage fills out that statement for us, I think. The offer of rest is something that comes at the very beginning of our world story. Have a look there at verse 3. Uh, he starts by quoting Psalm 95. He says, Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said in Psalm 95, so I declared on my oath in anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and then he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, On the seventh day God rested from all his works. So the author here starts with Psalm 95, but then he actually takes us all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis and talks about the seventh day when God rested. I'll get you to come in your Bibles with me actually to Genesis chapter 2. So flick over there and have a look at this with me because it's important to catch it. Come back to Genesis 2. 
Um, You'll notice if you read chapter 1, there's this pattern, this first six days where God creates. And the pattern is that God does the work of creating, and he says it's good, and then it's evening um, and morning, and the next day begins. It's not necessarily talking about uh, six 24-hour periods, but there's this pattern set up that's unfolding over six days. And then on the seventh day, God mixes it up. He does something different. So have a look at chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creation that he'd done. He rests and that's the end of the pattern. It's not like the other six days. And notice there's no evening and morning to, to kind of tie it off and finish it. Instead, instead of evening and morning the next day, the, the eighth day, let's reading more days, we just hear about Adam and Eve. The creation pattern ends with God having done his work and now enjoying it and resting in it. And so what's the point? I think one thing you're supposed to catch is that on the seventh day, God rests with his people in the very beginning and that's where we are now in history. We're still on the seventh day. And it, be- it begins particularly actually in chapter 2 with life in the garden. Life in the garden with God. The first perfect example of rest. Perfect relationship with God as Adam and Eve live in relationship with him. And notice oddly in chapter 2 what rest looked like. What did they do in the garden to rest with their God? They're playing ping pong and having naps? No, they rest with God by working his good creation. That's how they rest with God on the seventh day. And so here's the first building block to catch. Rest in the Bible means enjoying perfect relationship with your good God. That's the big thing. It's to be with God in right relationship and enjoy him. Not just physical rest, but the experience of being with God in his place and just going, ah, oh, it's good. <laughs> it's all good. Now, as chapter 3 unfolds in Genesis, what happens? Rest gets ruined by our sin, by their rebellion. And the judgment that happens is that the relationship with God is fundamentally broken and Adam and Eve get cast out of God's place and cast out of God's rest. They have to head out into the world. But soon, as you read on in the story of the Bible, another hope for the restoration of that rest emerges. The good news that we talked about in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, there's this good news on the horizon, the hope that one day God's people will go into the promised land and it will be good again. They'll be with their God and it'll, it'll be good. It will be in God's place with him in rest. But instead of going in, as you know, they have a false start. They don't have faith, they don't obey, and so what happens? They wander the desert for 40 long years. They did not enter God's rest. And then finally, finally they do enter in, and you saw it in our reading in Joshua 21, which Brooke read for us before. Finally, after years of wandering from God, they enter the desert, sorry, they enter the promised land, they leave the desert. Uh, Joshua 21 verse 45 says, God gave them rest on every side. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. They enter the land, and so they enter God's rest. 
So this moment in Joshua that was read for us before is a massive high point in, in, the, in the Bible. Finally, God's people are now back in God's place with him and they're at peace. They're at peace with their enemies and they're at peace with God in right relationship with him. They're in the promised land and you're meant to go, yes, ah, rest, it's come. But was that the end of it? Is that where the story ends? Do they land in the promised land and it's like, you're all good, Bible over? <laughs> no, not according to Hebrews. Come back to Hebrews chapter 4 and have a look at verse 6 and following. Because he quotes Psalm 95 in verse 6, uh, which actually happens a long time after they enter the promised land. He quotes it as being written by David hundreds of years after they entered rest with Joshua. There's still more to be seen. Have a look at verse 6. He says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today in the quote, and he says, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. Here's the conclusion. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. If Joshua's rest was the end of the story, then how come King David is writing Psalm 95 saying, today's the day to enter the rest. Today's the day to listen to the voice of God and don't miss out like they did. Enter this rest with God. Why is that in Psalm 95? Hundreds of years after they entered the land with Joshua, Because the warning still stands today. And in fact, that warning doesn't end with David. You need to enter this. You, Christian, you you today need to enter this rest with God. All throughout history, the big question has been, will you enter rest with the God who created you or will you miss out? That's been the big question the whole way along. From the very beginning when God made this world, he made it for the purpose of entering rest with his people, to be with, for people to be with him and to enjoy God. And the story of the Bible from Genesis to Joshua to David to today is this. Will you enter this rest with God? Will you come into relationship with this God? And so when Jesus turns up, Matthew chapter 11, listen to the invitation of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus turns up and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is the one who comes offering this true rest to a world that so desperately needs it. Rest which is surely so much more than some Netflix and a good night's sleep. It's rest for your souls. Rest that will deeply satisfy, that will fill that thirst that you have had for years. Rest that will mean spiritually you are home, you are right with your God. The wandering is over. Rest for your souls. That's what's on offer. And how do you get it? Well, Jesus didn't turn up saying, um, come 
to extra sleep and healthy eating, come to the psychologist, come to holidays to find rest, as good as those things are. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you'll find real rest in him, in Jesus. And so what is real rest? It's to know peace with your God and be with him through Jesus, to enjoy that God forever. To go from being lost and broken and wandering, restless in your soul, to find relationship with the God who made you for that very purpose from the very beginning. Now, when is this rest? Like literally, when will you experience this rest that's been talked about? Well, come back to the Hebrews passage in there. You'll notice that... um, it's a funny thing that seems to move around in the passage, that the tenses of when the times that this rest is happening is a little bit all over the place. So verse 11, for example, it's a future expectation. Make sure you enter into this thing that will happen in the future, verse 11. It's a, it's a future reality that you'll strive for, but also it's talked about in the past tense, those who have fallen, those who failed to enter into it. And there's these strong warnings to not fall like those who didn't enter in. So when is this rest? Well, if you come to Jesus today, it's already begun. If you're a Christian, this rest has already begun for you. You are with your God. Uh, There is rest for your soul today. And so you can drink deeply of it today because you know your God and you're at peace with him. He's yours You are his, and it's it's a wonderful thing to know God today. But it's not perfect. Now is just a glimmer. It's, It's a shadow of the reality that we will know in heaven when we see that God face to face and the frustrated, broken weariness of this restless world is done with. Now is just a shadow of what's to come in heaven. And so right now, if you're a Christian... It's as if you're living in this tension. On the one hand, you can say, it is well with my soul, I know my God, I'm in Christ. And on the other hand, the wear and tear of this world will continue to do its thing as you wait for the full experience of that in heaven. You're headed home where your rest will be perfect. Friends, this is what you were made for. This is why God created you. You won't find satisfaction, true rest, anywhere else. You were built with this thirst that just exists and you won't quench it anywhere else other than coming to this God who knows you, who loves you, who created you for this purpose. To be with him and enjoy him forever. Imagine for a second a person, this is a weird thought experiment, but imagine a person who lived their entire life thirsty. They just needed water real bad. They weren't going to die from dehydration for some reason in my weird idea. But for 30 years, a person from birth to the age of 30, and they live their whole life thirsty for water. They don't even know what water is. They've never seen it, let alone drunk any of it. But the thirst was there. You know that thirst you get when you like go somewhere or whatever and you forget your water bottle? And like 20 minutes later, you're like, I need water. And then you're like, I really need water. 20 minutes has gone by. Am I going to die? Is this what it's like to die of dehydration? I think I'm going to die. Some of you have known that. It's that experience, right? But for 30 years, 
just waiting. <laughs> and this person is trying to quench this thirst. I'm like, I'll try some food. I'll eat bread. And they're eating bread, and it kind of does something. It's kind of tasty, but it doesn't get rid of the thirst. I'll chew some gum, and it kind of gets the saliva going, but really your mouth's just drier than it ever was. For 30 long years, you wait. I'm probably making you thirsty just with this description. Is that right? You're waiting for that moment where your thirst can be quenched. And then one day, someone hands this person a cool glass of water, and it's theirs, and, and they drink it. And imagine that experience, that thirst finally dealt with. And then it's not just a glass, but actually they turn and there's a river. Drink as much as you want. It's there for the taking for the rest of your life. Imagine that experience. That's some of what it's like to find this rest in Jesus. Rest for your souls. It's interesting, as you think about some of the things Jesus says in the Bible, it's almost as if Jesus weaponizes every bodily craving that you've ever had to communicate how much you need to come to, to God through him. Think about some of the things Jesus says. Jesus says, you hungry? Well, I'm the bread of life. You need to come to me for true bread. He says, are you thirsty? I'm, I'm living water. Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. He says, are you weary? Well, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. All these different pictures of our deep need, but all pointing to the one big need we have to know our God. That's what's on offer if you come to Jesus. Now, in part to be experienced now, but fully enjoyed forever in heaven. Rest for your souls. Now, what does all of this theology of rest in the Bible, what does this do for us here and now? What are the implications of this for us today? Well, first of all, recognize that as a human, you were built for rest. Primarily, this eternal rest with God, rest for your souls, you were built for that. But secondarily as well, built into your humanity is the reality of this cycle. You work, you get tired, and you rest physically. That's a part of your makeup as a creature as well. Now, why did God do that? Why did God build that cycle into our lives? Like, why is sleep even a thing we need to do? God could have made us so that we didn't need to sleep. He could have done that. Why can't we just work every single waking hour and just be fine? Why do our muscles grow tired and weak and eventually go in a spasm if we don't stop working them? Why does your mind have to go tired after a day of Zoom? Now, there's biological reasons for that, right? So you can quote some science and that's cool. But God could have engineered our biology differently. He could have, but he didn't. <laughs> And so every day when you get out of bed and you go to work and it makes you tired and you need to rest, I think God is pointing us to the bigger rest. He's using that to point you to the fact that there's a bigger rest that you need. Our need for physical rest, I think, can be like a little living parable that we experience and points us to the bigger, bigger rest that we need with God, the rest for our souls. You notice in chapter 4, verse 9, it mentions the idea of a Sabbath rest. This is a thing that God took advantage of in the Old Testament. He used this idea of rest to teach his people something in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the seventh day was set aside as holy, as special, and they weren't to work. Instead, 
what, what they would do was to rest. And on the Sabbath in the Old Testament, physical rest was paired with the religious activity of spiritual uh, worshipping of God as well. So the Sabbath was a day when you rested from work to instead worship the Lord and be with God's people. The Sabbath, it was built into the rhythm of their life as the people of God. Rest with their God. God tangibly tied it to the physical activity of rest. Um, Now, as New Testament Christians, we're not required to keep the Sabbath. There's no rule that says we have to keep a special day, whether you think it's a Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is. I don't think there's a rule that says Christians have to keep the Sabbath. But the concept is a really good one. It's a really good idea. It takes our need for physical rest and locates it in the context of enjoying our spiritual rest with God. The Sabbath, you put those things together. Time with God and his people on your day of rest. It's a good thing. And it all points to our need for the bigger rest, the rest that is to come when we go to be with our God. Ultimate rest. The rest that you need to remember not to miss out on. And so what does that mean for you? Well, fundamentally as a human, you do need rest. Just a reminder, you need rest. Some people live their lives as though the whole point of existence actually is rest, to recreate and to have fun. That's not a good thing, that's lazy. But other people have the opposite problem, don't they? The opposite problem to that, they live as though they're some sort of a robot who can just keep going forever and never stop. Some people like to live like that, but it doesn't work. Eventually the robot breaks and sometimes in a really bad way. You are made for spiritual rest and built into the fabric of your humanity, you need physical rest as well. And so take it. Rest. Literally, physically rest. (laughs) Set aside a day to, to do that, at least a day a week to rest. You might like to pair it with a Sabbath and and make that the thing you do. Rest on a Sunday when you spend time with God's people. Do it another time. That's up to you. But brothers and sisters, know your humanity. Rest. But here's the second thing. Uh, Here's the second thing that our theology of biblical rest does for us. Thankfulness. Use physical rest to cultivate thankfulness for the greater rest. Here's what I mean. Some people, as I mentioned earlier, they live for rest and recreation and fun, but that's actually idolatry. It's not a good thing. Others don't know how to rest, maybe because you're a workaholic or maybe because you're a really serious Christian who's always about doing the work of the Lord and you never stop to take a break and you'd almost feel guilty if you ever did. You know, uh, and, and a holiday, don't even get me started, would be crazy. I could never take a holiday, some people would say. Why not, why not do a fifth crew camp that year, you know? Well, how about this? Instead of living for rest, which is idolatry, and instead of running away from rest like it's a dirty sin, how about enjoy rest as a good gift from your good God? And let it remind you of your need of the ultimate rest in the new creation. And so don't ignore God in your rest. Rather, let it point you to his goodness and let it spill over into thankfulness and praise to his glory. Now, thirdly, can I give us a warning as well? I've already hinted at this, but I'll I'll give it now. Don't live for rest in this life 
which is actually idolatry. It will not satisfy you. I don't know if you're feeling the weariness of this world and the, the dissatisfaction and the hunger for something more. And I think so often our answer to that problem, that sense of I, I need something more, I'm, I'm hungry, for, I, I need rest. So often we come to the temple of pleasure and fun and triviality and hope that somehow if we gorge ourselves there, it's going to satisfy this week. Didn't work last week, but maybe if I do it again, it'll work this time. It won't. You can't satisfy an eternal hunger to find rest for your soul by stuffing yourself with pleasure in this life. It'll just leave you feeling sick. Minimise work, maximise fun. If you build your life on that, you'll be left feeling empty. You were made for something more deeper and wonderful than just to have a bunch of fun and live it up. And worse than that, worse than the fact that it won't satisfy, it could end up being the very thing that causes you to miss out on the real rest that you actually need so badly. The rest for your souls that's found in Jesus. So there's a warning there. An encouragement, enjoy rest as a good gift from God. Really do, but don't live for it. Now, here's the final thing to see tonight in this passage. And at first glance, I reckon it feels kind of counterintuitive, but here it is. Grab hold of real rest through striving, through working hard at faith and obedience. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Work hard to grab hold of rest. Sounds a bit um, contradictory. Have a look at verse 11. He says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He says, make every effort. <laughs> Some of your translations there, other ones will say things like strive, work hard to enter this rest. Now, what's the work that we're doing that we try to enter this rest? Well, Inferred from verse 11, it's the opposite of disobedience, it's obedience. Now what's going on there? Is this passage saying that the way you enter God's rest, the way you enter relationship with God, is by works, by what you do? You earn it somehow. Well, the rest of the scriptures teach us that it's actually by grace alone, through faith that we come to God, trust in what Jesus has done, not by your works. And so what's going on in this passage with all this talk of obedience and disobedience as the way to enter in? What's going on there? I think what's happening here in chapter 4, and actually the same thing in chapter 3, is that faith, trust in God, trust in Jesus, is tightly bound together with obedience those things aren't being pitted as opposites here. They're tightly bound up together. Have a look again at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. You'll see it there. He says, For you also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. Um, oh, I've lost it, sorry. Just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. You see that? Faith is described as the faith of those who were obedient. 
To be one who has faith is to be one who is obeying. That's expressing it positively. You can see it expressed negatively in chapter 3 a few times. Have a look at chapter 3 verse 12. He says, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's two things tied up together. A sinful, unbelieving heart. Lack of obedience, unbelief, tied up together. Again, you'll see it used the same way, verse 18. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if, if not to those who disobeyed? The ones who didn't go in, the ones who disobeyed. Then look at 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So unbelief is being paired with disobedience. Faith is paired with obedience. Here's what I think is going on. Faith and obedience are like two sides of the one coin. Now to be crystal clear, I'm not saying faith and obedience are exactly the same thing. Heads is not tails, they're different things, but they are two sides of the one coin at the same time. If the coin we're talking about is a person who's come into relationship with God, who knows God, then one side of the coin is faith and the other is disobedience. It's, it's two ways of looking at the, the same person. A person of faith is a person who obeys God. A person who obeys God is a person of faith. They're, they're the same person. Faith and obedience as a package is the way all people should respond to God. Particularly, it's how we should respond to his good word, which is what the last few verses are about there. Have a look at verse 12. It says, <clears throat> For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's what God's doing through his word, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the picture here is of God's word doing a, a sifting work, a sorting, a, a judging work. It divides, it exposes what's really going on for us. How does it do that? Particularly it judges us by our response to it so that all of us are laid bare before this God who sees and knows all things how are you responding to the word of God you're receiving it do you have your faith in his good promises are you obeying his commands or you're tossing off his commands are you letting go of his good promises the way we enter into this rest is to grab hold of it by faith and obedience our response to God's word will show us who we truly are and so brothers and sisters how are you responding to the voice of your good God because that shows you the condition of your heart one of the times that you're in danger of pushing aside God's good promises when this life becomes all too hard and all consuming and you forget about what's really yours and the promise of rest in the future, when pain or pleasure comes in and squeezes out the future of promises of God, 
when you're tempted to do that, brothers and sisters, keep trusting in the good promises of this God. Keep your faith in him. When you're in danger of pushing aside his commands, his good commands, I think particularly when it clashes with our culture and what the world around us says is good, Keep obeying his good commands. They're good. He's a good God. How are you responding to the voice of this good God? Continue in faith and obedience and enter in to this rest that is ours. Let's pray. Let's pray to the God who gives rest for our souls. Our Father God, we thank you so much that that our salvation does not depend on ourselves. That it isn't by effort, by the things that we've done, but it is by grace. And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who respond in faith and obedience. Uh, Lord, particularly, we pray that you would give us soft hearts toward your good word. Help us to cling to your promises and love them and cherish them and trust in them and help us to obey your good commands. Pray that we'd honour you with the lives that we live. Father God, I pray that uh, for those of us today who are naming Jesus as Lord, I pray that none of us would fail to enter into this rest in the new creation with you. And I pray that even today, we would enjoy this rest knowing our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Or will you enter the Holy Sovereign Lord's rest? Why don't you stand and let's respond in song.